Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, here we go. First 13 verses, you follow along. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. We must not put, a, put, put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it is truth. We embrace that. We believe that. Father, we, uh, we pray that you would bring about a vigilance to our spiritual life, Lord, that you would bring about a very carefulness to the way that we live this life, to the way that we walk, to the way that we talk, to the way that we um, interact with others. God, I pray that uh, the, the heaviness, the gravity of, of spiritual life would be upon us today. Father, we ask for the, the teacher, the Holy Spirit, to speak to us, to guide us into truth. And Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, in order to kind of get where Paul is going uh, in this passage, we need to back up to verse 27. Uh, if you remember from the old church service, uh, we ended that talking about an athletic metaphor that Paul gave us for the spiritual life. Okay, so in, at the end of chapter 9, Paul gives us a metaphor. And the metaphor is, look, we're running a race here and we need to run like the winner. Okay, now how does a, how does a, how does a winner run? Well, he trains, Okay. Uh, the winner is not the guy eating Twinkies and sitting on his couch watching Days of Our Lives. The, the winner is the guy who's in the gym, okay? The winner is the guy who's, who's eating protein bars and protein shakes and the guy who's watching his weight and he's, he's running hard and he's training hard and he's lifting weights and he's saying no to certain things and saying yes to certain things to make his body stronger, okay? And so Paul uses that metaphor and says that's just like the Christian life. He says, in the Christian life, we need to work, work really hard to fight against sin, to strengthen our mind and strengthen our hearts and strengthen our spirits in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we don't do that, verse 27 is where he ends. He says, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul says, I'm going to work real hard to discipline myself for godliness so that I would not be disqualified. Now, here's what Paul is afraid of. And here's what I'm afraid of. And that's why he writes chapter 10. Okay. Paul is afraid that in your mind, you'll be like, oh, yes, disqualified. That's that's not a good thing. But that will never happen to me. You see, that's what we all want to say, isn't it? I mean, we, we say that all the time, but all kinds of things, right? We say, well, that's a real danger, but it won't happen to me. I'm not going to take any precautions. I'm not really going to try real hard to make it not happen. It's just not going to happen to me. And, and, and there are many things that we don't take serious in life because we simply don't believe that it could be a reality for us. 
Let me give you a great example. Have you ever flown before and the stewardess gets up and she starts giving all those instructions about your flotation device and about the oxygen from the, from the ceiling if the cabin loses pressure and about your seatbelt and about the exit doors and about how to get off the plane in case of an accident. Does anybody ever listen to that stuff? Not very many people do. Carolyn does, but nobody else, okay? Everybody else is usually sleeping or they got the head back or they're reading a book or they're you know, playing on their, their phone or something, but nobody's ever listening to that. You know why? Because the reality is most people don't think it's probably not going to happen, okay? It's probably not going to happen to me. It's probably not going to, I'm not going to have to worry about it. And so I'm just not going to pay a lot of attention, okay? The one exception to that that I can remember, I think I've told you this story before, was him and I were flying to, to Miami and uh, our plane started leaking fuel in the air, okay? The captain comes on the announcement. He says, our plane's leaking fuel. We've got to make an emergency landing. And so we're going down in Tampa. Uh, I don't think he said we're going down in Tampa. I think he said we're landing in Tampa. <laughs> And we, we start circling Tampa. We see all the emergency vehicles lined up, the sirens going, the lights are flashing, the fire trucks, the ambulances and everything. And we're coming in. You have never seen people who read those cards more thoroughly. Everybody's got their card out. They're studying the diagrams. They're checking their seatbelt. They're looking for their flotation device, you know. They're looking at how do I get, I mean, seriously. I mean, people are counting the exit rows, you know. How am I going to get out of this thing? You know, what am I going to do? People are crying. They're praying. They're, you know, all that sort of, all of a sudden it's a reality. You know why? Because it might happen. Now, here's what Paul's saying, okay? When we look at our spiritual lives and we, we hear a passage where Paul says, you know what, you need to, you need to run like the winner. You need to, 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 to study the scriptures. You need to discipline yourself. You need to work hard in your spiritual life. And people are all going to yawn and say, well, it's not really going to happen to me. I'm not going to be disqualified. I'm not going to blow my life. I'm not going to fall into sin. I'm not going to ruin my reward. But Paul wants you to know, hey, you know what? There have been better people than us. There have been people that had more spiritual experiences than us that have blown their life. It could happen to us as well. That's what Paul is saying. There is an imminent danger of sin. Sin is real. And folks, we need to take it serious because I don't want to blow my life. I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to be found to to having missed what God had for me. I don't want to fail in my my marriage. I don't want to lose my family. I don't want to fall into sin. I don't want to ruin my reputation. I don't want to ruin my ministry. I don't want to ruin my influence in my friends' lives or my neighbors' lives. I don't want to suffer the inevitable consequences of sin. And all of that is a real possibility for us. Okay? Last year in Man Up, when we were talking about a man and his family, we put a whiteboard up and we, we began to write down all the consequences that would happen if, if, if we were to commit adultery. Okay? It was, it was the, the night was on a man and his family. And so I used myself as an example. I said, okay, if I commit adultery, guys, what's going to happen in my life? What are going to be the probable consequences to that? And guys begin to list things. And before you know it, we had the entire whiteboard covered and we were writing on the edges because there were so many of the consequences and the inevitable things that would happen from that sin, could happen from that sin. And then we finished and we said, okay, now the real danger is to think this will never happen to me, okay? But, but, but the reality, the scriptural reality, the, the, what God would have us say is, you know what? That could happen to me unless I am completely dependent upon Jesus Christ, okay? That's the reality, and that's what this passage is screaming to us, is that we ought not be careless with our Christian lives. There is an urgency to the Christian life. Okay? There's an urgency that we follow God. There's an urgency that we know the truth. There's an urgency that we build the right kind of relationships. There's an urgency to the Christian life. It's not something that we can just put on the back burner that might happen someday or that, or that might be relevant someday. It's relevant now. And so many times there's an urgency to everything else in our life except for our spiritual life. Okay, Many times, many of you can... can Identify with this. There's an urgency to work, isn't there? You know, when work calls, what do you do? I mean, I mean, seldom do you say, ah, 
Who cares about that, you know? I mean, we don't do that. No, if work calls, what do you do? We answer the phone because we want a job and, and we want to be able to pay the mortgage and get the kids braces and pay the bills and, and have a car. I mean, we, 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 we want all those things. And so when work calls, there's an urgency there that I need to do my best. You know, when the, when the yard needs mowed. I mean, how many of you guys, tell the truth, how many of you guys have been guilty? And I, I have before of, you know, it's 10 o'clock at night, you know, and, and you're at the flashlight and you got the yard light on. You're out trying to mow your yard because it looks bad and you're embarrassed of it and there's an urgency right there's nothing wrong with that i'm just saying we feel that there's an urgency i got to get it mowed you know there's an urgency to our house you know laundry stacked up the dishes are in the sink man it's got to be done we we got to do it we're not going to go to this so we can clean our house there's an urgency to our kids i mean how many people are running red lights and they're they're driving all over town trying to get their kids to the practice or get their their kids to soccer or whatever because i'm not even sure what would happen if we didn't but you know i mean there's an urgency right we think that we've got to get this done. But many times our spiritual life is something that people say, well, it's important. I'm so glad Jesus died for me. I'm so glad he's given me new life. I'm so glad the Holy Spirit's in me, but I can set this aside because there's not a real urgency in my life right now. It's all okay. And what Paul is saying is, listen, you need to be careful. In chapter 10, verse one, he says, let me give you some examples. Okay. Let me give you some examples of people who had everything going for them spiritually and the bottom fell out and they missed out on what God had for them. And so he begins to tell us a story. And it's a story, an Old Testament story. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, what's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about a little slice of Old Testament, okay? If, if you know your Old Testament, there's, there's, a, there's a section in there that has to do with when God delivered his people out of Egypt and to the promised land. Okay, you remember that section? Really important section. Remember, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and God sends a man named Moses, and Moses, through Moses, all these plagues happen in Egypt until finally Pharaoh says, okay, get out. And so they leave, they leave Egypt, and then Pharaoh comes after him, and then they God parts the Red Sea. They come through the Red Sea, and, and and then they're on their way to the Promised Land. Okay, and so it's that story that Paul references here. Okay, and so he says, let me tell you about these folks in in the Old Testament. Number one, they were all under the cloud. What does that mean? Well, that means if if you remember in that story that God's physical presence was with them at all times with the cloud. Remember that a cloud followed them, it led them. Okay, so so anytime they wanted to know, okay, is God with us? All they had to do is look up. There's a Shekinah glory. It, it wasn't a normal cloud, but it was a, it was a Shekinah glory of God was right there at night. Remember there wasn't a cloud cause they couldn't see it. What was there? A fire. Remember there was a fire. So these are people who for 40 years had the physical presence of God at all times. Wouldn't it be cool? You know, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, when you have a rough day or whatever, you could look up God's still there. Things are okay. I mean, wouldn't that be great? That'd be great, you know? And that's what they had. They had the physical presence of God. Not only that, but they had, they had these awesome experiences, okay? He talks about they all passed through the sea. Remember, that's the story of God parting the Red Sea and the Israelites walking through. I mean, can you imagine that? Can you imagine just the power of God and the deliverance of God? And they get through and the Egyptian army comes and God releases the sea and they're delivered, okay? So they have this incredible deliverance that they can all remember, okay? And, and, and and so he talks about being delivered through the sea. And then he says they, they all ate the same spiritual food. What's that talking about? Who remembers what did they eat in the wilderness? For 40 years, what did they eat? Manna. Because there's nothing else in the wilderness. And so they're going to starve to death. So what does God do? God provides this supernatural food for them. So every morning they wake up. There's manna. 
you know? Monday, manna. Tuesday, manna. Wednesday, manna. Thursday, manna. And they got manna every day. God provides. There's nothing in the wilderness. Every day they're on the brink of, of if God doesn't provide, there is nothing out here for us to eat. And God provides day after day after day after day. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? So here's a people with the physical presence of God, with this incredible deliverance out of Egypt to the Red Sea, a people who God provides for every day. They can see it. They can touch it. I mean, God does it every day. You would think these would be the most spiritual people in the world. What do they have to drink? Remember, they drank from the rock, okay? The rock that, you know, in this, in this passage, Paul metaphorically says the rock was Christ. Uh, Moses, Moses speaks to the rock and the water comes out and, and they're able to drink. And so they have this incredible provision of God. You would think these folks would have been on top of their spiritual lives, right? They had to continually reminded of their need to seek God and continually reminded of their need to obey God. But what happened? How many of that entire generation, those hundreds of thousands of people that came out of Egypt, how many of them actually made it to the promised land? Two. Joshua and Caleb. That's it. Someone said Moses. Moses didn't make it. Moses sinned at the end. He got angry, took his... He, uh, he struck the rock and said, speaking to it as God had said. And Moses got to see it. Remember, God took him up on a hill and he got to see it, but he didn't get to go in. Wow, what a lesson. Did you, did you see the, the thrust here? You know, we're, 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 we're liable to, to read a passage like 1 Corinthians 9 and say, hey, you know, no big deal, Paul. You know, you're telling me I, I need to discipline my body. I need to say no to sin. I need to be in my Bible. I need to memorize. I need to worship. I need to build Christ in relationships. Oh, God, I, my yard needs mode. I'm trying to get yard of the month, God. So this can be put aside because and, and, I got this other stuff to do. And Paul's saying, no, no. Don't you realize? Don't you, in your Old Testament, don't you realize? We got to be really careful that we don't blow it. Because there's a lot of people that have blown it before us. How did they blow it? Well, verse 6, okay? He gives a little kind of history of, of what happened with these folks. He says, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Okay, now keep these in mind. These are, these are interesting, what Paul picks out here. Okay, now when you hear him say that we might not desire evil as they did, what are you thinking? What, what, what's thinking in your mind? Are you, are you thinking of some people kind of wringing their hands, you know, wanting to... Go kill somebody, you know, violence, pornography, you know, or some kind of horrific sin. You know what it was? I'll read it to you. Numbers chapter 11. Um, let me read you verse 1. It says, And the people complained in their hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them, the outlying parts of the camp. Verse 4, Now the rabble was among them and had a strong craving. Hear that? A strong craving. So they desired what they desired. And the people of Israel wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. You know what? You know what the strong craving is? The strong craving is for meat. Now you're going to say, well, "Why is that evil?" Well, Pastor, that's not evil. It's not evil to have a little hamburger. We have, I have one all the time. I, I eat a hamburger almost every day. All right. I mean, is that that's not evil? So, so what's the evil about it? The evil about it was that God had provided manna. Do you see now? So, so God provides. He, he supernaturally provides, and the people look at it and they're like. We don't want that. That that all you got, God? You know, we don't want what you provide. We'd like something else. Oh, right there, my friends, is the root of temptation. It's the root of sin. Whenever we say, God, you're not enough. You're not enough for me. I don't want what you give. I want something else. 
I'm not going to trust you for what you give. I want something else. And, and so we, we go through here, verse 7. Don't be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people lay down and eat and drink and rose up to play. That's talking about Exodus 32 where Moses goes up on the, on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. And he delays. He's up there a while. You know what they start doing? Where'd Moses go? You know, we're just sitting here. We're not doing anything. You know, we're not going anywhere. You know, this, we're, we're not satisfied. You know, let's make our own God. And they, they, they make a golden calf. Remember, and they worship it. And God's wrath comes down upon them then. Verse 8 talks about sexual morality. It's talking about in Numbers 25 when, when they, they, uh, Phineas stops the plague um, of sexual morality with the Moabite women. Verse 9 talks about them testing God, pushing God to the limits. If you're a parent, you know exactly what that is. Your, your kids ever push your limits? They ever, they ever test you? You know? I mean, you set the clear boundaries and they come over and they're testing them. They're pushing. They're seeing, are you really going to do anything? Now, here's what we come down to, though. Verse 10. Look at this. I want to stop here. I I want you to pay attention to this. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, I think in most of our minds, grumbling, which is it? Complaining and grumbling. Is it a major league sin or a minor league sin? Most of us are going to say minor league, right? When we think of the major league sins, we think of things like, you know, murder and rape and drugs and and immorality and those sorts of things. And when we think of grumbling and complaining, that seems like a minor league sin. My friends, it is not a minor league sin. In fact, as you look at this period of of history that Paul is presenting for us today, the, the big thing that the Israelites kept falling into was grumbling, unbelief, okay? Grumbling is a form of unbelief. It is expressing unbelief belief. Grumbling expresses that we don't believe that God is taking care of us as he should. He's not doing his job. We don't believe that he, that, that he is to us who he ought to be to us. In fact, when Moses tells them, look, you're not, or when God tells them you're not going to the promised land at the end of this time period, when he says, guys, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Only, only two of you are going to enter the promised land. Listen to how he, how he says that, okay? This is Numbers 14, verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, How long shall this wicked congregation, count, the, count how many times he talked about grumbling, grumble against me. I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, as, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness. That's not a good plan when someone tells you that, especially God. And all of your number listed in the census from, from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb, the son of Jephna, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Four times he mentions grumbling. Why? Because grumbling is an expression that we don't trust God with our lives. Man, does that make you convicted? It does me, you know. How many times you walk through life and, you know, man, God, I'm not happy with this. I'm not happy with this. And God, you haven't provided me enough of this. And God, I'm, I'm angry with you. You know, I'm complaining. I'm grumbling. I have this spirit of discontent because, God, I don't, I don't think you're, you're doing what you ought to do. Think about the very first temptation. Adam and Eve, they're in a garden paradise, okay? Everything they need, the fellowship of God all the time. And what happens? A serpent comes to Eve, and what does he do? He plants a seed of what? Discontent in Eve. Remember what he tells her? You can't eat of any of these trees. I can't believe God would do that. And Eve's like, well, no, 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 we can eat, we just can't eat of that one. God told us not to eat of that one. Or if, if we touch it, we'll die. And Satan's like, ow. You can't eat it. That's the best one, you know? 
I can't, I can't believe you can't eat of that one. Man, if you eat of that one, you'll be like God and you'll have a, and, and all of a sudden Eve, who is perfectly content with all that God had provided, who had perfect joy, who had perfect happiness, who had a perfect relationship with Adam. Now all of a sudden she's like, this stinks, you know? I mean, I can't, but we can't have that one tree, you know? And if I had that one tree, man, it's good. I, the more I look at it, the more I want it. And Eve steps out from all that God had provided and takes what God had not provided. And now we got mosquitoes today. And dandelions. Listen. Grumbling is a serious thing. When you, when you bracket the, this passage, it starts out with evil desire, desiring things that God's not provided, and it ends with grumbling about what God has provided. You know, you know the root of all that? It's being discontent with God. Think, God, I, I don't want you, I want something else. That's the root of sin, isn't it? Now, now, listen. Here's what Paul's saying. Think of all that this generation missed because of their sin. And what's the application? Verse 12. Are you ready? Here, here, here it goes. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. All right, let, let's unpack that. So if you're here today and you, you're feeling really confident, you know, you just feel like you are a rock star spiritually, okay? You just feel like, man, I know my Bible and, and I'm following Jesus and I have all the right convictions and I know who to vote for and I'm this and I'm that and I got it all together, okay? Paul is looking at you saying, you need to be really, really careful, okay? You're on thin ice, because you think you've got it all together. And whenever you think you've got it all together, you are so tempted to move away from depending upon the Lord. And that is where you're most vulnerable. That's where these guys fell. Okay? Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. And so verse 12 says, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed. Okay? There, there's the action there. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to take heed. How many of you use that phrase, by the way, in regular life? You ever, you ever use that? You ever, you ever tell your spouse, take heed, you know? You ever tell your kids, you need to take heed, you know? Take heed. It's just kind of a funny expression. I like saying it. Take heed, okay? What does it mean? It means you need to snap to alertness, okay? You need to, you need to take seriously the gravity of your spiritual life. I like what Robert Rayburn said. He, he said, we ought to be like men walking on ice, not like men sitting by the pool, Okay? You know, we ought to be men who are careful, who are, who are walking carefully in our life. You know, every step we're walking. Okay, is this what God wants? Am I, am I right with God? Am I dependent upon God? God, is this what you want? Am I going the right direction, Lord? I'm trying to depend on you, Lord. Show me which way to step. Show me which way to go. That, that's the way we ought to live our Christian life, is in complete dependence upon God. Now, some of you are going to say, well, wait, Pastor, wait, wait, wait. That doesn't sound like that, that we're resting in the gospel. You know, here at Lincoln Avenue, we really emphasize the gospel. And the gospel is the heart of everything that we're about. Because the gospel says that the magnificent, glorious Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. He did all the work. Amen? I mean, I don't, I don't, there's no work I can do because I'm broken. Okay? And so Jesus did all the work. He died on the cross. He paid for my sins. Then when I'm connected to him through faith and repentance, his righteousness gets put in my account. So now I stand righteous in Jesus. But let me tell you, we believe that completely. But here's what we don't believe. We don't believe that when we embrace the gospel, that makes us careless about sin. No. Okay? It should not make you careless about sin. Looking to Jesus who was butchered on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin should not make you say sin is not a big deal. Okay? If that's what it does in your heart, something has gone wrong, my friends. 
It should not cause you to treat sin lightly or to blow off the consequences of sin. Rather, you, you, you should be more careful with your life. Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Peter is a great example of this principle, okay? In Matthew chapter 26... Peter is with the rest of the apostles, the rest of the disciples. They're they're with Jesus the night before his death. And here's what Jesus says to them. In verse 31 of Matthew 26, Jesus says, You will all fall away because of me this night. Okay, so... Jesus tells them, you're all going to fall away. You're all going to blow it. You're all, you're all going to mess up tonight. You're all not going to be there for me. You're all going to fall into sin tonight. Okay? You know what Peter says to that? Verse 33. It's never a good idea to argue with Jesus, but Peter does. Okay? Verse 33, Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Okay? Peter says, yes, I'm convinced the rest of these bozos will probably fall away, Jesus, but not me. Not me, man. I am rock solid in my faith. I believe in you. I trust you. And even if I got to go to death, I will not fall away. Now, what does that lead him to do? Well, it's interesting. The very next verses, they go to the, the, to the mount, to the, not the mount, the, the Garden of Gethsemane. And you know what Jesus says? He says, all right, guys, you need to pray. You need to pray. Something big's coming. You need to pray. You need to pray lest you be tempted. Watch and pray that you may not fall into temptation. What does Peter do? Takes him a little nap. Why is he taking a nap? He's convinced he's fine. He just said it. He just said it. I won't fall away. Not me. No, 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 no. I'm rock solid. So he takes a nap. Jesus wakes him up three times, actually. Watch him pray, watch him pray, watch him pray. Finally, he says, let's go. Betrayer's at hand. Jesus is betrayed. He's arrested. Peter follows Verse 69, same chapter, Peter's sitting outside the courtyard. A servant girl comes to him and says, You also are with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. Boom. He falls. Why? Because he he felt he was too big to fall. He, 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 He stepped out from being dependent upon the Lord. And, and here's the great lesson. Okay, John 15, 5. Without me, you can do nothing. That's what Jesus said. Without me, you can do nothing. Okay, so here, picture this, okay? As you are, as you are dependent upon Jesus, as you're looking to Jesus, as you've as you're, got your eyes on him, you're, you're in the word, you're saying no to sin, you're following his lead. Okay, in this posture, here's the good news. There is nothing you cannot accomplish. Okay? There is no sin that you cannot weather. There, there, is no, there is no temptation that you cannot make it through. Isn't that good news today? Amen. As long as we're in this position. However, you take your eyes off of Jesus and you begin to think, I got this covered. I'm okay. I can set the Bible aside. I can set prayer aside. I can set worship aside. I, 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 I got other things I got to be occupied with. Ooh, let me tell you, there's not a person in this room that in the right situation, the right circumstance, you will not blow it all. You believe that? Believe that? You will not. I, and I'm one of those people. Listen. Listen, that, that's what the Bible's saying. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, now, what I'm afraid of, and I think what Paul was afraid of, is that that, that, that verse is going to scare and dis- depress some of you, okay? Because some of you feel like, man, I'm about to fall every day, okay? You know, some of you are on the other end of the spectrum. You never feel safe. You, you know how much you've sinned. You know, you know, that you're, you're not what you, where you need to be, and you, you, you're, not, you're not where you ought to be spiritually, and you're afraid you're going to tip off and fall off 
all, you know, all the time, okay? Listen, here, here's what Paul would say to you. Look at verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? You see, Paul tells us, first of all, in, in the first 12 verses, you're not the exception. Okay, Don't think you're the exception. Don't think you can be careless with your spiritual life and you're going to be fine. You're, you're no more of an exception than these folks were. And they blew it and you can blew it as, blow it as well. Okay, But now in verse 13, Paul switches the tables and says, But don't think that you're so bad off that you can't make it as long as you'll turn to God. You know what? There's a lot of people out there that, you know why they don't like this place right here? This, this gathering of believers. There's a lot of folks that do not like to come into church. You know why they don't come into church? Because when they come in, they look around and they think, man, everybody's got together but me. They come in here and they, they think, man, everybody else, all these other marriages are perfect, you know, and man, mine is rough. And all these other couples, they just gaze over at each other with just longing eyes and just sweetness and, and health. And, and everybody else's kids are perfect. You know, they're just sitting right there. And my kids, oh, if only people knew what they said in the car coming over here, you know. And, and, and everybody else's life is just all together. But my, let me, let me, let me just tell you something. I know most of these people in this room. Listen, you're fine, okay? You are fine, all right? And, and that's what Paul is telling us here. He's saying, look, no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. We're all in the same boat here, friends, okay? We're all tempted in very similar ways. We all have similar struggles, okay? Now, I, I'm not saying that we're exactly alike. We're not. Some people are stronger in some areas than others. Some people have, have weak spots in areas that, that, that other people don't have. But what Paul is saying is, look, we all are in the same boat in that if we're not dependent upon God at all times, we're all vulnerable to sin here's the good news verse 13 no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man god is faithful he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability you know you know the good news there god's got a governor on temptation okay yeah you know, he's got a fence okay let, let me show you this in the book of job if we look over in the book of job um let me find it here real quick job it's right at the beginning um, Job chapter 1, Job chapter 1, verse um, 12. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand, only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from his presence. And then in chapter 2, verse 6, the Lord says to Satan again, and, and the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand, only spare his life. Okay. Now, I, I just want to refer to those verses because you know what we see God doing there? We see God telling Satan how far he can go. Okay? Just, you can only go this far. Okay? And so here, here's, here's the good news for me. God's aware of what I'm going through. You ever feel like he's not? You ever feel like, man, your life's in such a tailspin and you're, you're having so much oppression and struggles and you feel like, man, God's forgetting? God's not. He, he set a fence and he's only going to let it go so far. And, he, and that fence, he, he set that fence where, where you can always look to him and get out. You can always look to him. What is, okay, what does get out mean? Here's what it doesn't mean. Okay, a lot of people are saying, all right, I just want God to stop it. You know, I, and whatever's hard in my life, what, I want to look to him and he just takes it away. You know, all of a sudden the storm quits and there's just birds chirping and flowers coming and, you know, all that. No, no, no. Look at verse 13. He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to, what? Endure it. Endure it. You hear that? Got to go through it. Okay, but here's the good news though. 
God's never going to let us get so far out that we can't look to him. And he'll give us the strength to keep going through it. That's good news, friends. That's good news. Okay, now, what is this? What is the way of escape? That's, first time I read this passage, that's what I wanted to know. I mean, it says right there that, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, you know? And I'm thinking, you know, where's the way of escape, God? What's the, what's the one, two, three steps for escape? You know what the way of escape is? God is the way of escape. Read it again. God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. He will provide. Okay? Where does the way of escape come? It comes from him. All right? Now, now put this in perspective. How did, how did these folks fall into temptation and fall away and mess up their lives and miss the promised land? How, how did that happen? Well, they were not content with God's provision. Right? God had said, here I am. I'm everything you need. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to lead you with the cloud by day, the fire by night. I'm going to give you water from the rock. I'm going to give you a manna from heaven. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to be everything you need. And the people said, nah, we want something else. That's, that's the nature of sin. Looking away from God to something else. Okay? Now, what's the nature of victory? What's the way of escape? It's the opposite. It's looking away from everything else and looking to God. Say, God, you're what I need. You know what the alcoholic needs to do? He needs to look to God. Say, God, you're the answer to my problems, not that bottle. Okay? You know what the drug addict needs to do? He needs to look to God. You're the answer to my problems. You're the answer to my high. You're the answer to my fix, not this other stuff. You know what the person struggling with adultery needs to do? They say, God, what you provided is what I need. I'm looking to you. You're going to satisfy my soul. Every sin, every temptation, every, every struggle, money problems, whatever. God, you're what I need. You are what I need. Okay, that's the way of escape. And as we turn to Christ, he will enable us to walk through whatever temptation is in our path. We have the beautiful opportunity this morning to partake of the Lord's Supper. What a fitting time, speaking of what we've just talked about here today. You know why? Because in the Lord's Supper, you know what we say? What we're saying is, God, you're what we need. We want to take in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. We want want to take in what Christ sacrificed for us, what he did for us. We want to embrace that and receive that into ourselves. God, we want you. That's what we're saying in communion. We want you.